slide. If I could grab everyone's attention, that would be awesome. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is Andy, this is Carolyn. They're going to be sharing uh, from God's Word with us tonight. Um, just a reminder that we're talking about, yeah, we're talking about sometimes what can be a difficult topic. Um, we're going to have opportunity to text through, it'll be up on a slide, the number that you need to text if you have any questions that come up from anything that is discussed tonight, and then we'll grill these guys at the end for all the answers. And so if you have a question, text it through. Um, yeah, so why don't we uh, pray uh, for God, uh, for, to hear from God tonight. Let's pray. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to, uh, yeah, to hear from you, Lord, uh, from your word. We thank you for Andy and Kaz's willingness to, to share. Uh, we pray now that your Holy Spirit will th- speak through them uh, to us, to our hearts, Lord. I pray that this will um, change the way that we think about you, Lord, that we'll grow and, and as a result of this, know you more and love you more and be able to walk uh, more deeply in your ways, Lord. And so we just open our hearts to you and to your truth now, and we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Cam. Well, we're going to start this evening by reading from the Bible. Let's have a look at Genesis chapter 2, and we'll go 18 to 25. The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Fantastic. Uh, So as you know, we've been uh, in a three-part series uh, over these night services. First one, we talked about what it means to be made in God's image, and we're going to revisit that question as we look at uh, the purpose of woman. Uh, Last time, Cam talked to us about the purpose of man, the male gender, and not just the male gender, because we know that male gender has boys and it has men, and we're talking particularly about men, and tonight we're talking about the purpose of woman, and there's a reason that I have a woman with me, it's because she's a subject matter expert. (laughs) Not a perfect one, just got some experience. If I came with my knowledge of women, we'd be finished. (laughs) But we're going, to, we're going to look at what, what is a woman? What has God designed women to be? And so we're going to jump straight in. It's, it's from this passage. Almost everything that you'll hear from us tonight is from this passage or uh, Genesis chapter 1. We've got a handful of other references for you. If you're a note taker, uh, there'll be some other references for you to take down uh, and to read in your own time. But what is the first thing that God has designed a woman to be? He's designed her to be an image bearer of God. 
Right? We know that from the very first uh, session in this series. And listen to what God said in Genesis chapter 1, uh, or what the Bible says about this creation. God created man, and that's mankind, human beings, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Listen to what uh, one commentator that I read uh, says about this idea of image. In the ancient world, an image, something that bore an image, an image was believed to carry the essence of that which it represented. So a photo of me wouldn't just be a picture of me, it would carry my essence. An image carried the essence. An idol image of a deity or a god, uh, that same terminology which is used here, that would be used in the worship of the deity because it contained that God's essence. It was believed that it had its essence. This would not suggest that the image could do what the deity could do or that it looked the same even. Uh, Rather, they sort of believed that a god could be represented or its work could be accomplished through the image. Uh, And so I was thinking to myself, well, we're not in ancient times now. We're in 2019 uh, and hurtling towards... 2020, uh, what's a good uh, way for me to show you what this idea of image is about? Here's my best attempt. Uh, An image. I don't know if you've ever uh, come across these things. There's one in Time Zone at Eastland. It's a wall and it's it's a little wall and it's made of plastic pins and you can push the pins and when you push them they protrude across the other side and it makes an image. Grossly, they have to tell people to keep their mouths closed uh, as they push up against the wall. But when you do that, when you make an impression on the wall, the other side of the wall produces an image. Uh, The impression that you make is your image. It's not you, uh, but it has reflections of you. It's the same shape as you. Uh, It's not made from the same thing as you. This is made out of plastic pins. Uh, But... It is an impression of you. It has your image. Parts of it are like you. And you can see that some person with glasses has smushed his face up against the wall with some other person's face very close by. I hope that they're a couple. Um, (laughs) They are now. (laughs) (laughs) Both men and women are formed in God's image in the same way. We're not made out of the same stuff that God is made out of. We can't do the same things that God can do. Uh, Neither of us bear the full image of God. Uh, Not all of God's characteristics are shown in a man, and not all of them are shown in a woman. But both men and women have been formed by God leaving his impression or his image on us in creation. And that is no less true of women than of men. And so if you're wondering where this notion of equality of the sexes comes from, it comes from the Bible. God made men and women to both bear his image. There is no kind of superior gender. And for us, that's implication number one. There is no such thing as a superior gender. So women, if you're ready to, you know, stand up and text a really aggressive question, you need not. (laughs) There is no superior gender. Not only am I happy to say that, God says it. God says it. There is no superior gender. Some people will suggest to you that because God made Adam first, that somehow he's superior. Or that God made woman from Adam's rib. Uh, 
that somehow she's inferior. Guys, I need to tell you, you got made out of dirt. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather be made from a rib myself. <laughs> Every woman bears the, create, bears the image of her creator. And, and here's, here's another thing that this means. When you mistreat another person, when you mistreat a woman, you're trespassing on the image of God. You're trespassing on the image of God. Heaven help us if we ever get sucked into this space where we elevate one gender or the role of one gender in importance above another. God doesn't allow for it. The Bible doesn't leave room for it. And we mustn't either teach it or practice it. Implication number two. If a woman is an image bearer of God, then looking at women helps us understand God's characteristics. If, if God has left his impression on a woman, then we can understand a little about God by understanding women. Now, this is not a sermon about understanding women, right? Again, if, if, I was, if that was my topic, I'd be done. Uh, in fact, I may have just declined. Um, but God, as creator, has expressed his image in both men and women. It is actually by looking at the inherent characteristics of masculinity and femininity that we understand more about the God who made them. And we get a little glimpse of what God is like. Guys, listen up. When you see the gentleness of a woman, the tender love that only a woman seems to be able to show, the beauty that only a woman seems to be able to portray, the beauty that a woman can appreciate or can see in things, All of those things, when we wrap them up, they help us understand a little bit more about the God who made them. Those things didn't come out of woman. They came from God. God put those things into women. And it helps us understand a little bit about what God God is like. Those things are a reflection of God's image. That comes from this impression. Women equally reflect aspects of God's image just like men do. It's just different aspects. And so we can pretty easily accept that if women are made in the image of God, then they have to be of equal value. It's no such thing as you know, better values of God and lesser values of God. That doesn't, there's no room for that. This doesn't mean, however, that we have to be identical. right? We don't have to be identical to have equal value. The second aspect we're going to look at with women is that we are someone made for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, verse 7, explains God created mankind for his glory. So, what does this even mean for a woman to glorify God? We've got a couple of verses that will hopefully pop up on the screen, and I'll give you a little summary. You can look them up in full yourself in your own time. So firstly, in Psalm, we'll see... To acknowledge who God is and to worship him is how we glorify God. To live in relationship with God and serve him. To live in honour and obedience to God. To follow his unique plans and purposes for us. So we know that God has created women to reflect his own image and to bring him glory. To cause people to think more highly of their creator. Therefore, we've got another implication for you. Women are here to serve God alongside men, not to serve men. 
So this is an important note. The purpose of woman is given by God and is described by reference to God, not by reference to men. God created women to bear his image and to glorify him. It's God who holds women to account for their role. It's God who empowers women to fulfill their role. It's God who is glorified and all of us who benefit when women step up and fulfill their role. Last time, Beth asked a quick question at the night service and it was... Who's Beth? Women have a role other than just helping out the men, right? I believe Cam tried to dodge that question as best he could. (laughs) But we're here to answer it for you. Yes, that's right. Although the woman was made as someone suitable or fit for the man, her role is not given to her by the man. Her place is given to her by God. Her role is to glorify the creator, not to glorify men. We'll get into what it means to be a suitable helper for men now. Helper. Third thing that a woman, that God has designed a woman to be, is someone to complete the picture of humanity. So when Adam is naming the animals, we read this in Genesis chapter 2, when Adam's naming the animals, uh, no doubt he's, he's seeing uh, animals. I don't know whether, uh, like Noah, they were coming to him two by two. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us this. But I, I'm almost 100% certain that he would have noticed that animals came in pairs. Animals had mates. Uh, that There was a male and there was a female. There was, a, there was one and there was a counterpart. Uh, and yet, the Bible says that amongst the animals, there was no helper for him, and there was actually no helper at all for Adam. He had no counterpart at this stage. He had no mate. There was no other. Uh, and what did God say? This is the only time in, in the, in the uh, creation narrative that we get the words, not good. It's the only time that God says, this is not good. Until now, we've gotten, uh, I've made this and I've made that and it was good. And then there was another thing that I made and that was good. And then another thing God made and that was good. And now some other things were very good. And now we get to the stage where it's not good. The picture of humanity wasn't complete. It wasn't yet good. God hadn't finished. Uh, And so... Woman is not an afterthought. He didn't sort of create and go, "Mm, maybe not. This was actually part of the plan. He knew that this needed to happen. So Genesis 2.18, God says, I'll make a helper that is suitable or fit for him. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here. I reckon this idea of helper is the source of some trouble. Uh, It's misunderstanding or maybe it's misapplication or maybe even it's abuse Uh, I reckon I could attribute some of the angst around this topic to this word helper. Uh, And so we need to go to the word and we need to ask, what does it mean? Hands up if you know what uh, what, uh, language this part of the Bible was written in. Nathan, I knew you would know. (laughs) Okay, Greek? Anyone say Greek? No? English? Latin? No, anyone? Hebrew. It was written in Hebrew. 
now, if I, if I, let me just give you a word, right? Uh, Kylie. Not, a, not a Latin word. Or no, no, I'm not going to give you a Hebrew, Hebrew word. word. No, okay. no, I, I don't speak Hebrew. Just checking. And the way my nose and throat are right now, if I spoke Hebrew, bad things would happen. Um, <laughs> Kylie, let me give you a word, break. What does the word, what does the, what does the word break mean? Oh, give me one. Okay, yeah, break, as in the brake that stops a car. If I spell it differently, B-R-E-A-K, uh, Cam, what might that mean? Yeah, to be destroyed, broken, um, something comes apart. Uh, yeah, might break my arm. Uh, I, might need, I might get a lucky break. That's another way to use the word. Uh, I might need a break. Um, that kind of gives me a rest. Uh, I might have a break in the weather. That's not broken. That's just a good thing, you know, when the clouds break apart and the sun comes through. Uh, if we're playing billiards, I might ask if I can please break. Uh, if I need tennis, I might need a different kind of a break. Um, do you know, I didn't look at all, all of them, there are 52 different ways to use the word break. Now, I'm not going to ask us all to start speaking Hebrew, but English is a, is a really poor language. If I have the same word as 52 different ways to use it, and I have to ask myself each time, which way am I using this word? Right? We have to understand back in the original language, what was the purpose of this word? What is its context and how is it used? So, in English, we get this word helper. Now, I don't know about you, that's not a super helpful word for me to use. So we go back and we look at what was the word and what did it mean? So in helper, in the Hebrew word, I don't know how to say it. I can spell it, E-Z-E-R. So I'll just say it's Ezer. Is that right? Is there any Hebrew? I'm just going to say it. It's just Ezer. It might be the Aussie way of saying it, but we're going to work with it. Ezer means to help or one who helps, a sucker. Not, yeah, anyway. Just, it means help. The spelling here yeah, again, it's yeah, yeah. context. It's great. So before you equate helper to slave, listen to some of the ways that this word is used in scripture. And then you'll get a better understanding of the word helper, as in Ezra, as it's used in this. So in Psalm 20, verses 1 to 2, we have this same Ezra. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. And in Psalm 146 verse 5, again, we have the same word, Ezra, for help. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God. The word is used 21 times in the Old Testament. It's the same word that is used to describe that saving help that God brings to us when we're in need of rescue, support, encouragement, enabling strength. Someone to be strong when we are weak. So, implication is, that being a helper is actually a divine role. And there's been plenty of times when Carolyn has been my help. Or when I've said, help. 
Uh, and I didn't say Ezra, I just said help. Um, so here's another implication. When God has given women this role as helper, right, being a helper is not a weaker or a subordinate role, right? If I got described as someone's helper, I might get a little bit offended. In, like if I said, uh, hi, I'm Andy and here's Daniel, my helper. Uh, that kind of, in our context, that kind of makes me important and Daniel is a subordinate. However, let me change your thinking on that, right? When I have a task to do and I need help, I turn to someone who knows the things that I don't know or maybe has experience that I don't have. I have to say to them, hey, I can't do this by myself. Please, will you help? Please, will you help me? The responsibility for the task stays with me, but I need some help. Help. I need some help. I need that person. I can't complete this by myself. This is not me being important and then being subordinate. This is me being insufficient and weak and that person having something that I need. This is not a subordinate role. This is a complementary role. Can you see how God has designed these two roles to come together and say, hey, a man by himself is not good. He needs some help. He needs a woman, right? Humanity, and I'm not just talking about guy-girl things here, right? This is not about marriage. This is about humanity, right? A man-only world. How long do you reckon it would last, guys? No, not good. A woman-only world, also not good. God has designed humanity for us to coexist and to be a help. So, it's a vital role. When women, sorry, where men are refusing to seek and listen to the input of women, things are not going to go so well. Right? Things are not going to go so well. If I break down on the road, who do I call? The RSEV. Why? <laughs> I, I, I might call the RSEV. Why? Not because they're subordinate. Because they're superior to me. They know about cars. They know stuff that I don't know. They know how to make it go. Right? I'm a lawyer. I work as a lawyer. Right? When someone rings me and says, Andy, I need you to help. I don't say, don't talk down to me. Right? I say, hey, great. You need me. That's good. I can help. I can come alongside. Your problem is still your problem. It's your responsibility, but I'm here to help. I can supplement. We complement each other, right? This nonsense of subordination or inferiority, inferiority coming out of the I'm the helper, it's a complete nonsense. We don't, let's not get hung up on this word helper uh, in order to assign importance. I got way off topic there. That's all right. We'll still work with it. Carolyn, help. <laughs> we'll just flip the page. Okay. All right, I'll just start then. Let's go. Next implication then. Men and women having different roles reflects God's nature. So, this in itself is not going to make as much sense because you haven't spoken about what you said. No, it's all right. This in itself is a way that men and women actually reflect the image of God. The Bible shows us that God is this amazing thing which we call the Trinity. God is three persons in one being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Different roles is not a matter of inferiority. We know that from looking at God himself in these roles. Different roles 
all equally important and all supremely God. God has all God the Father has always been father to the son. God the Son sent by the Father. That's a different role. God the Spirit sent by Jesus to us. Another role. They have different roles, yet they're all equally God. And none is more or less God. It's a great example for us of what it can mean to be different without being of different value. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, God has been creating the world. He's got plants. He's got animals. The whole ecosystem is happening. And it was good. It was good. It was very good. And then we see God in, chap- in verse 18 of chapter 2 saying, It was not good for the man to be alone. That picture was not good. A world of men, like Andy was saying, that I hope don't give people nightmares tonight. <laughs> the world of men or without women, it was not the intended picture. God knew that man would need help, Ezra. So he created women to be suitable for him, to fill the gaps, to complement his weaknesses with their strengths. But let's be real. Sometimes we struggle with or we rebel against God's purpose for women. Maybe I should say this to myself. Sometimes I rebel or struggle with God's purpose for women. Or woman, me. Why? Let's have a look at a couple of reasons. Firstly, because we're broken. We do not naturally accept God's rule in our hearts. The Bible tells us that we are born into sin. That means no one has to teach you to sin. It comes very naturally. If you have a look at a two-year-old, you're not like, okay, this is how you sin. Like, that doesn't ever happen. They know what to do. Part of the sinful nature is a rejection of God's rule in our lives, a rejection of who he has made us to be. Instead of living for God's glory, we desire our own glory. Instead of honouring God's image, we seek to change our image into something that we want. Instead of serving alongside each other as equals, we seek to rule over each other and elevate our roles in competition with each other. Another reason that we might struggle in this area of uh, what roles we have is because we see it being twisted uh, by sin. We see it being twisted by sin. We see uh, people abusing the role or mistaking the role that they've been given by God. And when we reject that picture, we're tempted to reject the design instead of rejecting the sin. When we see men refusing to be godly men, we tend to reject the idea of men or, or that idea of manhood, when, and, and we get a toxic taste of masculinity. And when we see women refusing to be godly women, we get a toxic, toxic taste of femininity, and we, we want to reject it. But we can't afford to reject God's design. Sin has twisted the way that we view it. Sin has twisted our hearts. Sin has affected the, everything about us, including the way we naturally want to express 
our identity. If I can give it to you this way, when you hear a piece of music played badly, what was the problem? Was it the musician or was it the writer of the music? It's the musician, right? We can't reject the music just because the person playing it was no good. Right? Let us not reject God's design because sometimes we get it wrong. We see people abusing, we see people mistaking, we see people failing. And so we say, well, there is no plan, there is no right or wrong. No, God has given us roles. And let, let us not reject God's design simply because of our failings. Another reason that it's difficult sometimes to take on board the true purpose that God's given us is because we tend to build our identity by comparison. It can be easy to forget that my identity, my value and my role does not come from the people that are around me. My value doesn't come from being better at volleyball than that person. That was a really bad example because I'm really terrible at volleyball and I actually don't care. Your, your, identi- <laughs> your identity definitely doesn't come from It really that. doesn't come from volleyball. Anyway, so it, my identity doesn't come in reference to other girls and what they're doing or other mums and what they're doing and it actually doesn't come in reference to a man. My value as a woman comes from the person who made me. My value as a woman comes from the person who made me. He has given me an identity and a value and he gets to say how precious I am. He gives me an unchanging identity and value as a person that does not change, regardless of who I'm with, whether I'm married, divorced, engaged, it's complicated, whatever. When I look to others to establish who I am, I'm putting aside the identity that God has given me when he created me. That's a good time for me to get hung up about being perfect or about trying to be perfect. That's when I try and compare myself with other girls who are obviously perfect. That's what Facebook will tell me. That's when I start getting pretty choosy about what I might put on Facebook or other social media. So I can build up this kind of image of a me that really actually doesn't exist. Jesus says, I love you. Not the Facebook version of you, not the schoolyard version of you or the uni version of you or the anything, not the Sunday version of you. Just you, the you that you know you are. The you that can wonder, God really fully knows me and yet I'm still fully loved. That's the you that Jesus loves. It's powerful stuff. So we want to get practical now. And we want to ask two questions. One, how can women in their role encourage men? And how can men encourage women? I'm only going to talk to one of those questions. Carolyn's going to talk to the other. Women, how can you encourage men in your role? Well, first of all, uh, I think Cam, Cam spoke about this last time. Raise your expectation. 
Women, raise your expectations of men. Uh, expect your men to be men and fulfill your role as women. Um, secondly, give opportunities for guys to be men, right? Give opportunities for them to be men. Don't, don't fill the space. Uh, allow room for guys to serve alongside, right? God has designed humanity to be men and women serving alongside him for his glory, right? Uh, Women-only things, they should be rare. Men-only things, they should be rare. We're actually designed to coexist. I know that coexist is kind of Planet of the Apes talk, but, but we, are actually, we actually are designed to be here together in every context, particularly as the body of Christ. Thirdly, encourage them when they do. When they do fulfill their role, encourage them. Girls, I've got to tell you, your words, right? I don't know what it is about a woman's words. Uh, guys can tell me something and I go, meh. Okay? Like, you like that? Fine. Uh, didn't like that? Loser. <laughs> when a woman says the same thing to me, it gets right in there. When a close woman says those things to me, it gets even further in there. It would take 20 men with weapons to do what Carolyn can do in one sentence oh my word. to me. I'm, I'm serious. But, girls, with your words, you can build up or you can tear down. That is a way. I just got to say it. Females, you have that, right? That is a that is a God-given thing for you. So use it. Use it for good. When you encourage a man, like, "Hey, I saw that, and I appreciated that. I saw that, and that was a good thing." Right? You can speak. You can speak encouragement in that way. Let me give you an illustration of what Carolyn does. When 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 I come, sometimes when I come home from night, right? I work long hours. I'm gone. By seven in the morning, I'm home about seven at night. I catch my kids for about 15 minutes in the morning and I see them for about 20 minutes in the evening. Right? That's a weekday for me. That's hard. Right? It's hard for me to be a dad. It's hard for me to be a parent. Right? Most of my parenting influence happens on a Saturday and Sunday. Carolyn doesn't usurp me as the dad in my house. Right? When I come home, I throw my stuff on the table and Carolyn calls out. She says, they're in bed. And their lights are out, but they're not asleep. Go in there. Right? She's not saying, Andy, shut up. The kids are trying to sleep. She says, get in there, man. Get in there. Do your dad thing. She encourages me. Well, I, for me, like, there's a reason behind that, not just, like, I guess I, every now and then, just picture Andy. He's got to stand before God. Right? He's the head of our home. He's got that responsibility. And God's going to say, so Andy, how about your family, eh? And like as someone who loves Andy so much, I actually want him to have a response back to God to say, well, better than if I wasn't there. So it's, for me, it's just such a terrifying prospect to have so much responsibility. I'm very, very happy for Andy to have that but I'm also really happy to help him do the best that he possibly can in that because that is huge 
That's so huge. Thanks for reminding me how huge that is. <laughs> I'm just sinking, sinking here under the weight of that. Another way, girls, another way, women, that you can encourage guys is to complement rather than compete. To allow God to use the giftings that you have rather than the gifting that someone else has. And particularly I'm thinking of male, female, right? Serve alongside, lead, speak, serve, give, but don't compete. God has gifted each one of you differently to anyone else. Even amongst the females, right? You're different to every other female. You're different to every other guy, I can tell you that too. But, but serve it in a way that complements rather than competes. You're not the same. Don't try to be the same. Understand the way God has made you. Understand the way that God has gifted you. And use it to serve. We get into trouble or we, we create conflict when I look at the way someone else is serving and say, I want to do that. Ladies, God didn't design you to do that. God designed you differently. God made you as a, as a person with preferences, with experiences, with uh, particularly natural abilities. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. Find out about yourself. Understand what, how God has made you and then serve in that way. Serve God in that way. All right. Well, that was one side of the equation. Now we get to see how can men encourage women. Firstly, expect. Expect women to be different and to think differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but display a mindset of giving equal value to the person and their input as an image bearer of God. Expect that they'll have something valuable to offer. Ask for help from women. That's what we're here for, according to God. Don't expect the answer. Now, this is, this is a good one. Oh, I like this one. Don't expect the answer to be what you thought it would be. All right? God made us different for a really good reason. All right. Second point is empower. Take time to listen and observe and learn what abilities and giftings God has given and empower her to grow in those areas. Give the opportunity to express those gifts and talents and decision-making abilities. Lastly, stand up for women if they are being treated disrespectfully or objectified. Speak up and make sure that women are heard and valued so that God's design can be lived out in whatever situation you are in. It's God's design that we have men and women working together for God's glory, not just one or the other. Mm. Thanks, Kaz. Guys, we're going to wind up just by reminding you of a couple of things. God has made men and women both as image bearers of equal value before him. And he's actually given us the same job to bring him glory. 
That is to live in a way that people say, you know what, if that's what God is about, I think more of God than I did before. His design is for us to be together, to work together. This helper role that God has given to woman is not a subordinate role. It's a divine role. It's a rescue, saving, gracious, complementary, desperately needed kind of role. It's not because she's weak. It's because man by himself is not good. But sin has caused us to twist God's perfect design. And so neither men nor women measure up to the way that we were originally designed to be. And this is where God steps in. Beyond his perfect design comes his perfect love. We don't have to pretend that we're anything other than broken. Don't have to pretend. I don't have to pretend to be the perfect God. I know some of you think that about me, but (laughs) I'm here to let you down. Uh, In fact, you know what? I love this about church, right? At church, we ought to be able to come up to each other and say, hi, how are you? I'm a broken mess. How are you? (laughs) Right? That should be okay here. That's kind of why we're here, isn't it? Right? We know we're not okay by ourselves. We need Jesus. And so to walk in here thinking and acting like I'm okay, it's kind of fake. We're not okay. We need Jesus. And Jesus didn't wait for us to live up to anything. Women, Jesus is not waiting for you to live up to anything before he loved you, before he died for you. And he died for the real you, not the Facebook you, not the Sunday morning you, not the makeup you, not the party with my friends you. He died for the real you, the real you, who deep down you wonder whether anyone really knows. That person who struggles with comparison and hang-ups and wonders if they're really lovable. That's the you that Jesus loves and died for. That's the person. If you're sick of trying to earn that love, if you're sick of trying to keep parts of yourself aside, if you like the sound of unconditional love, where you're not having to filter, not having to portray a person that's not the real you, And you're not looking for man. You're looking for Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to think about Jesus and his love. That is who will fulfill you as a woman. Men men won't complete you. Jesus will complete you. Maybe it's time for you. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I've been rejecting Jesus and I've been pretending to be someone who's okay. Maybe it's time to flip that formula. Maybe it's time to admit that you're not okay, but that Jesus will take you as you are. We're saying that on the screen. Take me as you find me. All my fears and failures fill my life. Maybe it's time for the real you to meet the real Jesus. I'm going to ask us to pray. and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads uh, while I pray, and then we're going to uh, here's some questions, uh, if any have come through in the text. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that, uh, firstly, that you didn't leave uh, men alone. Wow, that would have gone really differently. Uh, thank you for every female here. Thank you for every woman. 
Thank you for the way you've made them, you've gifted them. Uh, They're so different uh, to us guys, uh, and yet by their differences they help us understand more about you. Thank you that you love them, that you plan good for them, that you have a purpose for them, uh, that you've given them a role that uh, is so powerful, uh, so well illustrated in scripture, so necessary. Thanks for loving us, the real us. Not the image we portray to our friends, not the version of us that we uh, wheel out on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, not the social media version of us, just the real us. So Jesus, we come broken. We come as imperfect people asking you to forgive us for rejecting your good design, for rejecting uh, the way that you have asked us to be, the way that you wanted us to be. And we ask you to make us whole. Help us where we are weak. Be that helper for us so that we can live the way you have designed us to live in a way that glorifies you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now comes the scary part, Cam. Yeah, I would be scared if I were you. <laughs> um, there's a few questions, so keep answers relatively succinct <laughs> so we can try and work through them. Um, so the first one uh, was, how has culture impacted, today's culture impacted men's and women's roles? That's a very broad question for a very short answer. Do you want me to make a start? I was going to do paper, oh. scissors, rock, but... <laughs> um, I thought you were going for a fist bump there. Um, okay, let me, let me have a, 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 a sl- just a couple of observations. Uh, so across history, we've seen uh, different... If you look at the Bible and then you look across uh, the rest of modern history, you see different points in time where women have, have had different roles. Uh, you read Proverbs 31, uh, and there's a woman who has a business. Uh, she's running a household. She's buying and selling real estate. Uh, she, she has a husband who's an elder in her town. Uh, she's being generous to the poor. She's running her family. She's looking after her kids. She's making clothes. She is a busy, busy woman, and she's not the kind of wifey at home chained to the kitchen sink, right? Not a thing. Uh, if we go back in other parts of history, there have been cultures that have treated uh, the role of women and men uh, differently. Some have imparted, I think, incorrect value to the, to the role and responsibility of women. Um, in our culture right now, I think we're getting a skewed version. We're adi- actually getting a rejection of... We're, we're kind of getting a rejection of gender. And we're saying, don't, don't define me by my gender. Don't, don't describe me even by relationship to my gender. I get emails sometimes, and it has a name at the bottom, and it tells me underneath that name how to refer to me. And it says, you know, so-and-so... Uh, and then it, it, it's, it doesn't say gender. It says, uh, when you speak to me, say him or her. Say she and, 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 and it kind of describes me. And, and I'm getting this impression that, uh, that culturally right now, uh, we're saying I'll be defined individually uh, by my choices uh, and by the, the shape that I want to make myself, not by the shape that God has given me. Um. The next one was, what is the role of man and woman in supporting each other when we inevitably fall short of our own expectations and fail in our role to live God-glorifying lives? Can you say that again, please? (laughs) It was a mouthful, I know. 
So what is the role of man and woman in supporting each other when we inevitably fall short of our own expectations and fail in our role to live God-glorifying lives? All right. I'll try and answer the question. Or I'll answer a question that'll sound a little bit like that with similar words and you can tell me whether I've answered it or not. The reality is men and women are going to fail. And the sooner you realise that and accept it, the better off you are. The sooner you bring it to God and say, I can't do this, the better off you are. And so if you do that side by side with someone else who's saying, I can't do this, I need God's help, the sooner you're going to actually start working together. So when you both... like, I'm, I'll talk about a marriage relationship. When in, you're in a marriage relationship and you're both broken people, it's um, important that you have the humility and the proper understanding of your place before God to bring it to God so that both of you can move forward and understand that the other person is broken and I'm broken and he accepts that I'm broken and I accept that he's broken. So have that expectation, not that you're going to find... Maybe if you're looking for a, someone to live your life with, don't try and find someone who's perfect. There isn't anyone. They actually no, they don't exist. I'm sorry if I'm... Dispelling any myths here. But he's taken. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, all right. Can we? Yeah, we'll move on. I think that's that's the idea. Just... Can, can I? Can I just say one other thing on that? That that when when I take up my role as a man. So so I, again, I'll, I'll use the marriage relationship. When I take up my role in, as a man. My role is actually for the good of my wife. And so, although, yes, I'm, I'm broken, but typically my brokenness expresses itself in selfishness. And so, when, when I'm desiring to serve my, do my role well as a man, actually my wife flourishes. And if my wife is doing well, I kind of use that as a bit of a litmus test for me. And when my wife, when my wife is doing poorly, when she's not coping or she's getting angry with me, or we're having conflict, I ask myself the question, do I need to change something here? Likelihood, the answer, likely the answer is yes. Uh, so so in, that, in that sense, uh, we can use that, Kaz and I can use that as a gauge uh, for ourselves. You know, is the other flourishing in their role? Uh, if not, what will I do differently to help them? Uh, because as we, as we serve alongside each other, uh, if each of us does better, the other also does better. This one's directed towards you, Kaz. Um, are there other ways that you call Andy to bear his responsibility before God in his role in your marriage? Sure, there are. Um, to give an example, well... I'll do another, another nighttime routine thing. So let's say Andy gets home and the kids are not yet in bed and he's, he runs up the stairs and the kids are there and we're about to do a Bible time together and I'll say, great, Dad's home, he's going to read and I'll hand the Bible over. This is me choosing to show the kids, actually, this is the one who's got the responsibility just a really simple thing. It's just a lived out expression of that. It's not that I can't read. Like, I can read. 
A kids can even read. I mean, they could read it. It's not a big deal. But it's just, um, it's making small choices based on the assumption that Andy has the responsibility for our family. And so it's, it's the small choices. It's not, you know, the massive choices that make the big difference, actually. It's just making, having that mentality, having that... Um, yeah, I guess thinking through the small things, the attitude towards that, and that's, that's how it expresses in the, the billions of tiny little things. There's nothing big. It's just lots of little bits and pieces. Awesome. Thanks for that. Uh, the last one is the most difficult one. Um, and it, it. it also has... Uh, it's one question, but it has five questions in it. Oh. But, they're, but, they're, but they're, they're really all asking the same question, and you'll, you'll get the idea. Um, so if value and identity come from our creator, how does God value the people of Sodom and Gomorrah or Jericho or even the people before the Noah in the flood? In the flood? Does he value them less because they were disobedient or does he value people who have faith more. Why would God destroy his creation who he values as precious when they disobey? Is his value on them conditional? Wow. That's a great question. Do you, do you want to take that? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to, yeah, but you can. Uh, I, would say, I would say this. Uh, God's, so God's love uh, is not conditional. Um, and God's value on, on humanity is not conditional. Uh, but God has given us this amazing thing called free will. And he has called us to obey uh, and he has called us to come under his loving authority. And the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the people of Jericho and the people of other places uh, chose not to do that. Um, God's, God's love is not something that he forces on us. Uh, and you'll know this from your own experience, uh, that he places, on his, his places us in a position where we must choose. Uh, and so uh, if I choose to reject God, I've chosen destruction upon myself. Uh, I haven't kind of been going along my merry way and also been sideswiped by God's judgment. Uh, it's, a, it's a judgment against my sin. Uh, and so, yes... God values every person the same. Uh, the Bible tells us that God's desire is for nobody uh, to perish. God, God would rather that didn't happen. And yet, uh, in his sovereignty, the way he has, he has set up and decided to run the world, uh, he has placed us in a position where he calls us to respond. And our response is a meaningful one. It has eternal consequences. Uh, and so uh, there is no... Uh, the value of... Uh, human life is not uh, more or greater uh, in those people. Those people have chosen, and if, in effect, they have, you know, across time, have reaped uh, the consequences of how they've chosen to respond to God. Awesome. You got through. Well done. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, guys.